Hello and welcome to Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul podcast. I'm your host, Serafina, and I am an ego and soul enthusiast. We can no longer be strangers to our egos and how they function. So come and join me as we find out why and how this philosophy of dating your ego but marrying your soul is true and useful for you. Hello and welcome everyone. I would ask you to put down your pens, put away your phones and turn up the attention because I have a very special guest here with me, Christina Adams, author, blogger, and a human being who has embraced the stronger side of physical pain. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm really well. It's uh, sunshine here and I'm guessing it's nighttime there. Yes, it's looking quite dark outside, but we've had a lovely day, so fingers crossed for a good weekend. Okay. For our listeners, Christina Adams is joining us from London, England. Christina, please do tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Well, as you said, I'm an author. Um, I've released three books so far. Two are women's fiction, and one is a nonfiction book aimed at writers. And I also have a blog called The Writer's Cookbook, um, which is also aimed at writers. And it deals with all aspects of the writing process, right through from research to actually writing and rewriting to marketing and publication. Because so many people, they think of writing a book, they just think of like a writer hunched over a desk typing away. But there are so many other elements to writing and they're actually the time consuming parts and they're the parts that aren't written about as much. So I really wanted to delve into that. And I have a degree in creative writing. Mm -hmm. So that's also part of why I set up the blog, because I didn't want to stop learning once I graduated. I wanted to keep learning and also share what I'd learned with as many people as I could. Excellent. And so what are your goals with your blog and your writing over the next three years? I have about seven or eight books planned at the moment. So (laughs) at one time it was about 14. So that's not as bad. Um, Yeah, I'd like to get as many of those out as possible. I've got hopefully two that I can do by the end of this year. Um, One of them should be with the beta readers by the end of this month. So that'll be quite exciting. And also I want to keep growing the blog. I want to keep growing the readership, helping more writers. I'd like to do some consultancy with writers at some point as well, like help them overcome the issues that I've had, which is a common theme on my author blog and on the writer's cookbook. But at the moment for me, it's a time thing because I have a day job as a content marketer. So it's kind of balancing everything out at the moment. And, you know, I'd like to keep progressing with the content marketing as well, because everything I learn in my day job benefits my author brand and everything I learn from my author stuff benefits my day job because marketing just makes the world go around, basically. Oh, wow. Sounds like you've got a good combination there. For all the writers out there who don't find the time to write, would you say they could use any other kind of software or tools? I've heard of people talk to me about dictation tools that then write out what you dictate to them. Is this something you come across? Do you think writers could use that? Writers who don't have the time to write? Oh, yeah. I think you need to do whatever you need to do. Like, I write on the tram. I write when I'm in a queue. I write when I'm waiting for people. Or if I'm not writing, I'm generally reading, you know. 
and I have had people using dictation. I haven't used it very much myself because I talked too fast for the software that I tried. Oh. So it didn't turn out very well. I have had some people have been very successful with it and they've written, you know, stuff for clients. They've written entire novels that way. So it can be quite useful, but sometimes it does mean you have to do twice the amount of editing because it doesn't always get the grammar and the punctuation and stuff right. So you kind of have to watch out for that. But I also think like phones make it easier than ever mm-hmm. like because you can just get a book out or you can open a note and just start scribbling away at an idea. You know, you don't need to worry about carrying around a notebook anymore because you've got everything you need in a device that you carry around with you 24-7 anyway. Mm-hmm. Like we've all had that spark of inspiration just as we're falling asleep. Yep. <laughs> what do you do? I mean, I'm literally falling asleep and I get this great idea and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this would be great. And then I, I obviously fall asleep and sometimes it's there in the morning, sometimes it's gone. And if it's gone, I'm yeah. saying it's gone, you know, and it's sad, but... Yeah. If I have that idea as I'm falling asleep, I have to write it down because I know I won't remember it in the morning, which is really annoying because then obviously you light up the nice dark bedroom and you start to feel a bit more awake. But the worst thing for me is when I have a great piece of dialogue in my head, mm-hmm. because if I don't write that down, that will be completely gone. A plot point is probably, there's a potential it will be there in the morning, but if it's dialogue, it's never as good the second time around. True. Like It's the moment of inspiration. Yeah, exactly. First time you plan it in your head, it's perfect. The second time you're like, this just isn't working. What am I doing? <laughs> Why am I even writing? Do you believe that the subconscious mind of a writer works nonstop? And then there are moments when you let it out on the page. Because one of my friends who's a poet said that to me. She said she writes a poem, she goes away, and then her subconscious mind is working with it. And then when she comes back to it, she has more number of ideas than she did before. Maybe that's true only for poetry, Maybe not so much for fiction, but what what are your thoughts about the subconscious mind of a writer? Yeah, I think your friend is definitely onto something. I think the biggest issue is that a lot of writers kind of stop themselves. Mm-hmm. They edit as they write. They're not prepared to just word vomit onto the page. And for me, that's the most fun part of writing. And that's the most important part of writing. You have to be prepared to not filter yourself and to let those terrible ideas come out. Because Mm -hmm. when you let the terrible ideas come out, that's when you find the really great ideas as well. And being able to free write and tap into your subconscious in that way is a skill. Mm -hmm. And it's a skill. I've heard quite a few writers say, no, can't do it. I have to edit as I go. But it's a skill. You can learn not to do it, you know? Some great tips there by Christine Adams. Any of you want to uh, learn more, you could head over to her blog, The Writer's Cookbook. Christina, just moving along, can I ask you, Tell us about a time in your life when you had an aha moment. For me, it was when I went to a workshop at Nottingham Writers Studio, which I've been a member of for a few years now and I'm also on the board of. And uh, at the time, I hadn't been a member very long, but it was led by Joanna Penn, who's like the queen of indie publishing, basically. And she made me realise that I didn't need to wait for a traditional publisher to tell me I could publish my book. I didn't need to wait for a gatekeeper I could write this book and then I could release it myself and have full control over the end product, over all the design of it, over the cover, over the marketing. I could do it all myself. And at the time I was in quite a bad place and discovering this almost empowered me. 
Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I could do this. And it actually led to me writing, editing, typesetting, doing all the graphic design and marketing and publishing for my first book, What Happens in New York, in about a year. And that includes rewriting it a couple of times as well. Wow. Um, Yeah, I, I learned most of the skills required to do that as well because I couldn't afford to outsource stuff. So I did all of that while working full time and buying my first house. Wow. So, um, it was a busy time, but it was also a very inspiring time for me. Mm-hmm. Like I was just so filled with energy and drive. And it's because of that workshop that we're talking here today. Little things can lead to big things. And we also sort of introduced you as a human being who's embraced the strongest side of physical pain. And I'm sure our listeners want to know what that introduction was about. Mm-hmm. Uh, do tell us about your physical condition related to chronic fatigue. Yeah, I have chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and that's been going on. It, well, it's difficult to say how long it's been going on, but it's definitely been several years. It was. It's one of those things that's gradually gotten worse over the years. And it was quite difficult to get a diagnosis because no one wants to diagnose someone that young with a condition like that. You know, it's seen as on par with arthritis. So you don't get it until like you're in your 50s, 60s, that sort of age. And all the leaflets are filled with people, you know, my parents age. So it was a little bit isolating in that regard as well. But yeah, when I was diagnosed, it almost felt like a relief because I finally had answers. You know, there was a reason I was tired all the time. It wasn't just because of my size or because I was overworked. It was just because my body works differently to other people. And um, I do know some people who have similar conditions to mine. Some of them let it stop them. It's difficult to watch, but you kind of can't really say anything. And I've kind of made the decision that no matter what, I will keep writing because it's my writing that keeps me going. You know, one of the things the rheumatologist said to me when I was diagnosed was that she can prescribe me amitriptyline, which is an antidepressant for the pain and the fatigue. And then it can help some people, but Mm -hmm. that for most people, it's no better than a placebo. And I was like, well... Oh, good God. The last time I was on... I, I have no issue with people taking painkillers or antidepressants or any pills. But the last time I was on antidepressants, it did not agree with me. No. I was even more tired than I am with the chronic fatigue, which is saying something. So I decided, okay, I'm going to try my best to manage this myself. And I do have some very bad days, some days where I have to sleep it off or where I just have to curl up on the sofa watching crime shows. But then... When I spend that time with my characters or writing a blog post, I'm so immersed in what I'm doing that the pain just melts away. Like you just forget that you were ever in pain in the first place and then you stop and then you're like, oh, it's gone. And it's actually really lovely. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And uh, I read a study uh, a few weeks ago when I was researching a blog post and it actually said that when you work on a complicated task, that can be a better painkiller than a placebo. Um, They don't really know the reasons why, as far as I could tell, but it's stronger than the placebo effect. I was just really um, honored that you came onto the show because the show is about dating your ego and marrying your soul. And actually, Mm. uh, it's the ego's job to keep us stuck and caged because Mm. of our pain. And it's when we choose our soul, which is ever-loving, ever-giving, you know, really our soul is our champion forever. Mm. It's when we tune into that energy that we can really push through pain. 
And what I love about your story is that you've actually channeled through your pain and you've channeled it into something creative, like writing. I mean, physical pain into writing. And it's not like, you know, like we spoke earlier, you're speaking into an instrument. No, you're actually physically writing. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're channeling that, that painful energy into something creative. And that's what I love about your story and you. And it's so connected to the theme of marrying your soul, but dating your ego. Dating your ego is sort of taking that pain and not doing anything and suffering from the depression. And I would really like to hear from you uh, one quality that would help young women who are listening through their physical pain. You know, how can they get past that barrier? Often I've had terrible um, period pain myself. I've suffered from it my whole life without any diagnosis, really. And I've had to find my own way of getting through it, like debilitating three days in bed, crazy mm. kind of pain. Yeah, and I've been there. <laughs> I, I haven't yeah. it. And, you know, I found my own way. But could you tell listeners from your own experience the one quality that they could think about or think about embracing or think about cultivating that would let them get through physical pain? I think you have to develop self-awareness and that self-awareness teaches you what your limits are. And once you know what your limits are, you know when you can push yourself and you know when you have to stop. Because one of the things I recommend for fibromyalgia and stress and every health condition in existence is exercise. But there are days when I get on um, the cross trainer we've got downstairs and I can barely stand up on it, you know. And if I'm having a day like that, there is no point me attempting to exercise whatsoever, you know. So it is about knowing what those limits are. And, you know, there is no quick fix to find that. You you just have Mm -hmm. to test yourself and you have to be a little bit fearless about it as well. You know, some days I've been on the cross trainer as well and I've had to take my inhaler every couple of minutes because I'm so unfit because I'm asthmatic as well and then some days I've gone half an hour on it and not needed to take it once so wow you know we're very unpredictable as human beings and what's going on around us has a massive effect like because of the high pollen count at the moment I've had to kind of slow down a bit because that's affecting my asthma and it's made my voice a little bit raspy you know and in the winter the cold kind of slows me down because it makes the pain worse so you know, but if I'm out in the sunshine, then the pain lessens and I can do a little bit more. So it's it's learning what triggers you. And it sounds like you've just, um, you know, this uh, condition has sort of taught you more about yourself, which is great, which is what we're here to do. Mm-hmm. What is your self-love routine? Could you tell our listeners why this is so important? <laughs> this is only a recent thing, probably since I finished my last book, Productivity for Writers. And I've gotten into the habit of going in the bath. We didn't have a bath when I lived with my parents because we had to walk in shower because my nan's disabled. And um, so it's just this massive luxury for me to get like loads of bubbles and make a hot chocolate or I'm quite a fan of warm Ribena and then just curl up in this nice hot bath and have all the, you know, the heat from that kind of soothe the pain and then just read a fantasy novel. But I didn't read a lot when I was younger, actually, but now I just read so much. Well, do, um, do, do tell us, what are you reading right now? Uh, I just finished a book earlier, actually. I'm reading, um, it's a Norse mythology, new adult fantasy series. Wow. And I have, I'm terrible. It's written by two writers and I keep forgetting the name. One of them is Leah Stone and I've forgotten the other one, but it's called The Night Wars Saga. 
Right. And I'm going to start the third one after this interview because I'm desperate to read it. I couldn't put the second one down. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just really like the escapism of fantasy. I kind of go through phases where I read loads of fantasy and then I read some nonfiction and then I go back to women's fiction and then some crime. But I always go back to fantasy just because that escapism element, you know, when things are going really badly in life, you know, it's nice to be transported to a different world or pretend that dragons exist or, you know, that you can go to Hogwarts, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rochelle Mead is my other, is one of my favourite authors and she writes urban fantasy. So Vampire Academy is probably her most well-known work and she has some adult fantasy books as well. Um, one series is called Succubus Blues and the other one is... I've forgotten the name of it. <laughs> but we've got we've got a lot of uh, we've got a lot of books there to choose from. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean what can I say from warm ribena to <laughs> awareness showing you your limits to channeling your pain into creativity. You have given us so much in this session. Thank you so much. Do tell us um, how, how we can buy your books, because I want to buy them. Yeah, so um, the books are all on Kindle. They're on iBooks and other places as well. If you go to my website, which is christinaadamsauthor.com, there's mm-hmm. the links to all the books there. And I may be posting some like alternate scenes from the first book as well um, yeah. pretty soon. And at the end of May, there's a box set of books one and two coming out as well. And also for all my writing advice and stuff, it's writerscookbook.com. If you sign up to my mailing list on there, you'll get a free sample of productivity for writers as well. Great. Well, thank you so much. I can see you and your books on the big screen one day. <laughs> and readers would be on the right horse if they go and pick up a book by Christina Adams. Thank you so much for your time. Have a wonderful Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you.